This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, welcome to another edition of That Mill Podcast. This is... Um, the show after the game uh, against Hull, which was obviously our remembrance um, game. And hopefully that went down well. That was a good part of the day. Um, we're going to be talking about the other part of the day, what wasn't so great. Joined by our usual guest for a Sunday night, the one and only Joe Zamba. Hey there, Mickey. How you doing, everyone? You all good? All good. All good. The uh, Steve Jones, how you doing, fella? Adam, Mick, all good. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. And our resident northerner, um, <laughs> Ben Green. No, he's not northerner, he just lives in the north. But yeah, how you doing, fella? You all right? Evening, chaps. Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I was away on holiday. And uh, and yeah, we've, we've, we uh, haven't really done a show for two weeks, I think, um, while I was away. Well, not a Sunday night show, um, but we're back now. And... Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Keswell's injury. Um, we're going to be talking about the game and how bad we can play against 10 people. Uh, and I think we're also going to be looking at later on in the show um, about how many players of ours are potentially up for uh, contract negotiations come the end of the season. Um, and to be honest, if you don't know who they are yet, it will possibly come as a bit of a shock and a bit of a worry. Um because we could potentially be looking at a complete rebuild next season. But hey, let's start with part one, talk about the uh, the football side of it, and we'll be back straight after this. Welcome back. Um, who's going to start? Joe, you want to start? Well, where, where do we start? I mean, um, you know, it, it's a game where it meant so much to everyone, the supporters, obviously it was a... Fantastic occasion, um, having having the, the the soldiers there and stuff, and doing um, the, 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 the the beginning, um, and then the game sort of started fairly kind of brightly. I think both sort of sides were playing on the front foot. They're trying to kind of make a game of it, trying to create some some attacking play. Um, I thought we kind of edged it even before the uh, the sending off, um, but without sort of fast forwarding too much, and I'm sure we're going to go through all this in, in more detail, once Hull were down to 10 players, you're thinking, this is it. You know, we're going to steam forward, we're going to win this by sort of two or three goals. Um, and it wasn't the case, was it? You know, unfortunately. And, um, but again, we'll probably talk about that in a bit more detail going forward. 
Oh, you're, you're on mute, Mickey. I was in another screen and he wouldn't let me back out. Sorry. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, Stephen, what's your take on uh, on the beginning part of the game for yesterday? Um, I, I thought we started quite well. I think Joe was right there. We um, we looked a little bit different. We had a couple of different ideas from a, a short corner routine, um, a little free kick routine that wasn't sort of putting it into the back post. Um, it looked like they'd kind of worked on a few things and it was sort of like, okay, there's, there is, you know, we've got options with fresh ideas, but um, I have to say uh, a bit different to Joe, as soon as the red card um, was shown, which, which it, it was a red card and then there's no complaints there from, from Hull. But um, the, the 10 man curse that we seem to have at, at Millwall, um, I, I was nervous and uh, unfortunately proved to be right because um yeah, as as we'll come on to, I'm sure, but but ten man sides with ten men, um, we don't we we just don't know how to play against them. No, that's the problem. Um, I think we probably looked to do it one way, and uh, and they closed us down quite quickly, and um, potentially the gameplay went out the window. We we'll get onto the substitutes and that a bit later on, but yeah, it's, um, Ben, your view. Yeah, I think similar to the guys and probably like everyone else, I think we started quite well, looked quite bright. We had that decent chance where we played a nice bit of one-touch football with ultimately with um, Fleming's shot. But, I mean, yeah, I thought we looked all right before the sending off and then usual with the two banks of four or five, whatever they end up going into, we just seem to struggle against it. It just doesn't suit our style of play at all, really, does it? And I just think it just become a... I think we all knew what was going to happen um, when they went down to 10 men. So, yeah, it was just a bit frustrating. I just... I don't know... I don't know why we just... We just seem to... You know, the last few games we've been playing really, really well. And yesterday we just looked as if we just couldn't... We couldn't do anything. I don't know if it was because... Hull's new manager had, had got him to stay. I mean, what is it, 14 games, I think, Hull hasn't kept a clean sheet. Yeah, I heard yeah, before the game... They... Sorry, Joe, I was going to say, I heard before the game that Hull have got the worst defensive record in the whole of English football. So, at that point, you're thinking, I know we've all said, yeah, we, we probably saw what was going to come in from a Mill perspective, but you still thought we should have enough right at home, big occasion with Remembrance Day to, to get something put something together and, and get amongst them a bit but it was just quite flat after the sending off and we just seemed to struggle but I think that just followed on from from Birmingham I don't know if there's a bit of, of fatigue there we put a lot into the games against Watford and West Brom um, We look, I think I've said previously that the squad seems to be the best that we've had but I think now it's probably looking a little bit thin um, and we, we seem to struggle a little bit with a, a couple of key people out mm. I think I think you could you could say that you know, luck was against us a little bit. I mean, I'm not one for kind of pointing the finger at Rowett too much. Because I think as Mill fans, we can all be a little bit fickle, can't we? Sometimes, you know, one minute we're Rowett in, then we're Rowett out. It's like a, a bit of a yo-yo. But I just think yesterday, you know, a bit of luck. We we we, we break the deadlock, score one goal. It's a completely different game. Um, and suddenly, you know, the game opens up. We might score sort of two or three goals, and we're all sort of thinking about what a great performance it was, but. One thing that I wasn't particularly impressed with with Rowett was the tactics and the formation. Now, 
I think it was like 30, is it 30 odd minutes when their player got sent off. Um, so it's a, it's a long, long time playing against 10, 10 players. You've got a lot, lot of opportunity to change your tactics, change your formation, whatever you want to do to try and you know find a way. But he just seemed relentless. And all he wanted to do was play the ball wide in the wide areas and cross the balls ball in. There's nothing going through the middle. It's all going wide, cross the balls in. And I get that. If you've got some you know big players in the middle, maybe two forwards, or you've got a, a, a midfielder that's going to get, get, in, get in, in the box, then yes, there's some height. But we had no aerial presence there whatsoever. I mean, I feel sorry for Bradshaw. He must think Bradshaw's six foot two or something because the way he plays Bradshaw in games is not to his strength. Balls come up. Bradshaw does what he can to kind of battle against the big centre half. He never very rarely wins a header. Um, you know, the balls have been really even played to his feet. Yeah, and, and it is. He's probably not the best at holding the ball up either. That's just not his game. Uh, and bless him, I think Bradshaw does his best in that position. But when when you're when you've got those sort of players there, you, you've got to play a different formation, different different tactic. You can't break a ten man whole team that, like you said, are playing two two backs of, of, of four or five, whatever. Um, yeah, outnumbering Bradshaw in the box, balls are getting in, and there's about three defenders around him. What do you expect him to do? You know, um, I I would love to have seen when Vogue come on second off. I would love to have seen him being pushed up alongside Bradshaw, um, keep it sort of narrow for my attacking mid players, but let the fullbacks push on. Let them let them give us the whip. We didn't need as times when you had Matt Namara and um, and, and Vogue on the right hand side, literally getting in each other's way. Um, it's just seemed pointless, you know. Um, and I think that's where Rowett was a little bit naive. And I think he then put Evans on and I think he put Cooper up for the last five minutes. That should have been done on like the 60th minute. You could have gone 4 2 4, bring Evans on to play as a sort of like a false defender, if you like, and let him play into midfield, let him spread those passes. I can see why he brought Evans on, but you want something, you want a pinpoint, a target man in the box to win headers, knock down to Bradshaw, whatever, whoever's around him, to get that goal. Once you score that goal, then Cooper can revert back to his position, put Evans in midfield, and then you go again. You're still playing against 10 men, but at least you've opened, opened the, uh, the deadlock. I mean, am I sort of right or wrong, Steve? What, what do you think about that? The, the, one, the one tactical decision that Rauwer got wrong for me, and I think it proved a point, that the goal that Bradshaw scored, obviously, that was offside, in the build-up to that, you had Malone, who I actually thought was a really good threat down the left-hand side. He, he looked very, very good going forward. As that ball comes across, Fleming and Bradshaw are in the middle. And obviously Bradshaw gets his head on it. It goes in. He's given offside. Fine. It, it, it's tight, but it is what it is, isn't it? So you're never going to really know if it's offside. But it just showed what Rowett should have done at the point of Hull having uh, the man sent off. Fleming should have joined Bradshaw up top and gone with them as a two, and then said to George Savile, right, you play in Fleming's role, and Billy Mitchell can hold sort of back on the halfway line. That way, you'd have had two strikers, you'd have had an attacking midfielder, and Billy Mitchell, against 10 men, could have coped in the middle on his own. He didn't need, we didn't need two two midfielders. Um, At the point that Savile goes off, I actually said um, to my dad uh, that, uh, fine, that's, that's a, you know that's a good decision take a midfielder off get another forward on but he didn't change it it was Callum Styles went into the middle and we just changed personnel sort of you know um 
Bennett come on, Voggy come on. All he needed to do was just see that the one time that we put a ball into the box and we had two players in the box, we scored from it. Mm. Um, That's right, yeah. I, 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 there's look, there's there's so many uh, you know people say row in row out it's it's boring it's this it's that and and whatnot but it's simple things that can lead to winning games we can see it and I think sometimes he can see it but it is there is a little bit of stubbornness there mm-hmm. um, and and Fleming you know when you're down when you're playing you know typically against ten men they are going to have the, the the two banks of four maybe one up top to just you know mm-hmm. knock the ball up to. That's where your best players, your creative players, work their magic. They find a pocket of space. They find a way to win you a game. But for parts of it, Fleming was out on the left and dropping so deep to to pick up the ball. Great, yeah, he wants the ball. He wants to try and influence it. But you ain't going to score a goal from 40 yards out or on the touchline. He's got to be in the middle. To to challenge your point then earlier, um, you said about putting Fleming up front with, with Bradshaw. I agree to a certain point, but I do also disagree and agree with the end point that he was the only man who was trying to create things. And I think he did that, playing in that pocket of space, playing a little bit deeper and, and getting on the ball and trying to make things happen. And he had a few shots and, OK, they were a little bit wayward, but he was, he was having a go, trying to make things things happen. Ben, do you do you not think, again, go back to my earlier point, by putting Cooper up front with Bradshaw... Maybe could change the tactics. Probably put Fleming in the middle alongside Savile or Mitchell, if you like. I mean, ain't it too difficult against ten men to have Fleming playing centre midfield role, having people in in the box where we can try and make things happen? I mean, how do you see it from a tactical point of view? Did you feel that a change could be done a lot sooner? Yeah, I think when we leave it to a 60th, 65th minute to to make any subs, I think that if you look at it, could we have done it slightly sooner? Possibly from a tactical perspective. I think the key against 10 men is the pace of your pass. If you're going to be predictive, and Mitchell's a great pass with the ball. And he, I think he's been brilliant in recent weeks, but at times I think he's not a quick pass with the ball. So I get why Styles potentially went in there. But even to your point again there, Joe, we, yeah, we could have got Fleming in there to try and, yeah, just, just play those passes a bit quicker. If we put Cooper up front, it gives us that outlet and if we did want to go wide with it and get balls into the box the as you say doing doing it to Bradshaw it's a waste of time because absolutely I, yeah. I, I don't if we do think he's a six foot four center forward target man he's not and I don't know what people see because he's not that sort of player mm-hmm. but we needed someone else up there with him to to give him a chance to knock down so yeah putting Cooper up there would have been a a good change of tactics but we always struggle against the 10 men. We've always said that, but I think we needed to move the ball quicker. And at times we just, we were a bit laboured with it. Mitchell would get it. You almost knew where the pass was going to go. It's going to go out to one of the fullbacks. Then what we're going to do, we're going to try and get it in the box. It all was just a bit predictable at that point. Would it not be even easier bringing Vloggy into the middle with Bradshaw? Well, that's what we're saying. A second gun. I mean, yeah. it's off Mickey, so you probably didn't hear it, but we were saying that, that the idea, I think Steve had a very good point. What he did was he changed it up. He brought players in. But the formation was exactly the same. You're just changing, like you have played in, in the same position, basically. So nothing really changed the tactics. Um, but, you know, we all, we all agree, maybe we should have had a bit more presence in the box because the idea was he wanted to get the ball wide and get crosses in. And I lost count of crosses we put into that box. And some of them were pretty okay. But their defenders just ate him up all, all, all day long. You know, it didn't bother him at all, you know. I mean, realistically, we could have probably just gone for three up front, couldn't we, really? When they went down to 10, gone three up front and just basically gone for it. 
even two, let's, let's not be greedy. I mean, we could have had you know, at least two, but you can't have Bradshaw on his own. And the thing was, what was disappointing as well is that Fleming's really good in the air. And I noticed so many times, yes, he's been effective in that deep role, but when the ball was going wide and then the cross was coming, you knew it was going to happen. I didn't, I think I only saw him a couple of times make that run into the box to try and win the header. And you remember, like, then you guys remember that far away, like Tim Cahill when he was at Millwall. We used to play very much a 4-4-2. He was our centre midfield player, but he would often, every opportunity, he'll make that, that, that run into the box. And the great thing about it was he was so good in the air, but more importantly, defenders never picked him up because he was a very a late runner. It's always hard to pick up a midfielder who's making that run. And Fleming could have done so much more, I think, with those crosses coming in. And the amount of times crosses come in and Bradshaw was by himself, looking around, I think, where's Fleming? And he's about fucking 20 yards away, like just sitting on, you know, waiting, waiting for the ball to drop back to him again, you know? So I think that goes back into the tactics and how rigid yeah. we are in every formation with that, right? Whether it's three, five, two, five, three, two, or the four, two, three, one. Yeah. Whatever we play, we're so rigid in that. And that's how we play. That's the players playing those positions. As you said, it's like mm. for like in terms of the changes. But when you need to be a bit fluid, especially against 10 men, you need those third man runs. You need someone from midfield making a deeper run, just creating a bit of space. We don't yeah. seem to be able to do that. And again, it just it's, it's highlighted against 10 men when you've got two banks of five sat there, no space mm. in front of you. It, it's just highlighted. But yeah, we are so rigid in every formation that we play mm. that, as you say, you need that bit of creativity from somewhere or someone to make a, a third yeah. man run or a, a, whatever it might be. But we don't seem to be able to do it for whatever reason. Is it because the players are, uh, are told not to come out of formation or, or what? Because it just seems... Some days we just seem to stick to formation religiously and other days we get a bit more free reign with it. And when the players seem to have a bit more free reign, that's when the players seem to play well. But mm. we've always got this Millwall thing, haven't we? When we play teams what are, you know, bottom half of the table, you know, down right down the bottom of the table, we don't do well with them anyway. We I sort think, of underestimate them, don't we? I mm. think Rower is very, very um, Sergeant Major with his He's quite disciplined, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, with his how he wants his players to play. They will play his way and they will it, they won't change from that. And I think that the big example of that is Billy Mitchell. Before the change to the new system, Billy Mitchell was getting hammered for constantly doing a little quiff turn and passing back and this and then just side to side, back way, uh, backwards Bill was, was a, a name that was touted sort of around mm. social media. But, that, but that's what Rowett's probably telling him to do. And yeah. the fans are on Billy Mitchell's back, but he's been told, keep the possession, keep the ball, mm-hmm. keep it safe, play it back, you know? Ex- exactly. And that's where you know, he's not going to go against his manager. If his manager's telling him to do that, if he doesn't do that, he doesn't play. It's, 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 it's quite simple. That's how it's mm. going to work. But then now, it, whilst we do, he has got a little bit more freedom. I think the 10 men, I, I'm not saying Gary Rowett doesn't know how to play against 10 men because it's happened to other mill managers in the past. But I don't think, I think he was stood on the touchline yesterday looking at the players that we've got available, looking at his squad thinking, I don't really know what to do. I don't know how to break down. Um, I don't know how to break down ten men. I mean, to your point there, Steve, I completely agree. I mean, we, we, yeah, when you look at our players compared to other championship players and what we're paying, for, you know, wages and transfer fees. I mean, we're way, way, way down the pecking order. So, you know, you're right. When it comes to creativity, we're probably not going to be up there as a top sort of five or six teams in, in division. No. But even if you are playing discipline, even if you are playing a kind of very regimented style of football. You could go back to basics still. I said stick Cooper up front. We've got no one really up front 
um, as a target, maybe, if you're trying to break down a 10-man uh, team. In the old days, when we had a real shoestring budget and we had players like Moody playing for us up front, um, going back further, Casarino, Sheringham. You know, you Good could, players. Yeah, you know, Dickio, you know, Bill Dublin. These are players that would often help us in games where we were just playing balls wide, getting crosses in, you know, whether they scored headers or, or got a knockdown or whatever. Um, at the moment, we don't really have that kind of focal point up front. We don't have, you could argue a phobic could probably do it to a certain degree. But I don't know how you feel about that, Ben. I mean, you know, players-wise, do you feel our squad is good enough? Or, do, you know, do we need to look sign maybe a forward in, 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 in the, the January transfer window? And what type of player do you think do we need? Do we need more than one player? I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've said it before on shows, I think our squad is probably the best that I've seen in recent years. But then just a minute ago, I said it probably looks a little bit a bit light now. Certainly going to points that we've spoken about again on previous shows is we've changed formation now kind of halfway or since the, the transfer windows closed and Rowett had an idea of the formation that he wanted to play and, and the players that he's bought probably fit into that. So we probably need two wide men now in January because I... I Bury for me just he isn't cutting it. We speak about Vogue all the time. We're sticking him out there. I don't think he's that wide man that we want or need. Have we got someone on the left? I think yes, we have if we can keep Bennett fit, but that's a big if. We all know that. Mm. So I think we'd certainly be looking at two wide men, would be my my preference if we're going to stick to it. I think then if we do, we can move Vogue into the middle again, as we always keep saying is an option. So we've got depth and set forward. I think centre midfield, I'm happy. So, yeah, I think certainly for me, I'll be looking at two wingers. The the thing with that that's interesting, just a couple of points just off the back of what you guys have just said. It's really interesting that Rowett had Matt Smith. Um, He was there. Obviously, Harris signed him. He had Matt Smith and he was quite, he used him quite a lot. Um, really, as as an impact sub, scored a few goals. The, The supporters quite liked him. But, it's almost as if he still thinks he's got Matt Smith, as you say, you know, knocking it into Bradshaw. I'm not saying that Matt Smith would be the answer to all of our problems. He is getting older. He's now playing in League Two. But he got rid of a big striker and hasn't replaced him, which it, to me seems quite baffling. It's always a good backup. Mm. And on the point of the the, um, the transfers in, in January, one one thing, I don't know what you guys, what your guys' opinions are, maybe open it up, but... I thought yesterday Scott Malone's delivery and Scott Malone's attacking threat down the left-hand side was very, very good. He could have scored. It was a good save from the keeper. His Mm. cross was the one that was knocked in by Bradshaw. Um, I wouldn't be adverse to trying in wide left. Get Murray when Murray Wallace is available, put Murray Wallace at left back and on that wide left-hand side, give Malone a chance because three or three years ago, he was scoring worldies every, every other week. It seemed for us getting further up the pitch yeah, we know he can't defend. Let someone else do that. Let Murray Wallace do that. And I'm sure, as we've said in the past, partnerships down the left-hand side, Malone isn't just going to leave Murray Wallace on his own. He would get back to help him, but he's sole, he, he wouldn't be solely in the team to defend. He would be more of an attacking outlet. Yeah. I think you, just, you just said it there, Steve. I think, yeah, exactly that. I think we all know he can't defend, right? And I think he's, he's, his attacking play is, is, is his asset. So I, I, I wouldn't be against that. Mm. I mean, I, I think we've been a bit harsh on his defence, defence sort of capability. I don't, think, I don't think he's doing too bad. Last couple of games, I think he defended quite well at left back. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big arse. I think he kept Jed fairly quiet, didn't he, in that game against West Brom as well. Um, but you're right. I think he's better known for his attacking play. 
Uh, really good point, Steve. I think, you know, playing in, in that kind of left winger position certainly will give us a bit more width, a natural left footer, getting crosses in. But I don't really think he's the answer still. I, mean, I think he's fine in the short term. Um, but long term, you know, seriously, I think, in, you know, going back to what Ben said, I think we probably need a couple of wide players uh, in the January transfer window. Maybe, to your point, a, a big target man as well. So there's a, it's a few a few positions we need filling, don't we, really? Ronaldo's up for up for grabs come near, come January. We could always have a, have a bid. Ronaldo, we could always have a bid for him, can we? Yeah. Or even, or even you know, Mahoney. I mean, it's a shame the tactics that Rowett's playing, the formation we're playing now, wasn't, you know, a year or two ago when we had Mahoney. Because I mm. think in that formation we're playing now, in that 4-2-3-1, I think he'll relish it in that position. You know, I That's think the I problem, though, really isn't it? The problem is, is that Rowett was always planning his future with us of five at the back and mm. building forward, you know, three or five at the back and, and building it forward from there. When eventually, when he found that that didn't work, he's now changed four. If he goes back to five, he's going to get absolutely dog shit abuse from fans. And allegedly, he gave it to fans at the weekend. He told a couple of fans to fuck off on Saturday. <laughs> um, make he, it he out whatever you want. As well, though, Just, I don't think, you know... We'll Make it up what you want. I mean, I remember when Neil Harris told that geezer to fuck off to Charlton. Um, <laughs> yeah. He got dog shit abuse for that. But look, hey ho, yeah. I mean, you know, um, we've know got to remember. Guy, I'm pleased you said that because if, if, if you guys listened to his post match interview, there was a couple of points in there that I actually picked up on that I thought he's just starting to not get the arse, but he, he's obviously him. hearing. Yeah, he, mm. there was a couple of bits where he said, I, I wish the crowd would have given us a bit more. and I know we were a bit flat and there was times of, you know, wanting the crowd to help us mm. out. And The crowd have been a bit flat week. the last couple of games, though. So there, I, there was obviously something more that's happened there, right? Because I, I haven't heard mm. him ever really mention the fans in a negative way. It's always been positive if mm. it's been away from home. The trouble is, we, we, we thrive in action. We, we want goals, don't we? When you've gone three games without scoring, there's not really a lot to sort of cheer about or sing about, is there? I mean, I know we've had it. We've been unlucky. We've had a couple of chances. I think... Yeah, you know, yesterday I think there was that, that great bit of play between uh, in the first half between Fleming, Bradshaw, and Savile. I think it was lovely little intricate one touch pass. It's quite quite continental, really pleasing on the eye. I think Fleming was very unlucky not to score that. Um, but there, there was very very few moments like that where you, you you're off you're off the edge of your seat thinking that was brilliant. You know, but we're bipolar, aren't we? Sorry, mate? we're still t- we're bipolar. That's the problem with Millwall. We are very very bipolar, and yeah. the problem is when we're doing we're doing okay. Everyone's jumping up and down, you know, the Rowett out brigade's gone. It's all Rowett's, mm. you know, Rowett's really good, blah, blah, blah. Then we go on a spate of, you know, drawing and, and, and not winning the game. Then all of a sudden Rowett's a cunt again. We are still 10th in the, in the table. And it don't matter where you are, really, mm. until May. But we're still 10th. We're still three points off the playoffs. Mm. So we're not exactly, you know, we're not fighting relegation on nine points. We're talking, you know, we are just outside the the... The, the six, the top six places, we, we're we going to go into the World Cup break. We've pretty much got one game missing out of the World Cup break. We've got, obviously, Sunderland away. We've got the friendly at home. And then we pretty much got a week's worth of training. Then we're back playing properly again. The World Cup's over. So... I think we, we've, got, we've got to manage our expectations a little bit as well. I mean, again, I know we've talked about, talked about this many times in the past, but, you know, what we're paying our players' wages... Uh, compared to other championship clubs, we're still way, way, way behind. I mean, there's talk of that uh, John Michael 
Siri, or Siri, who plays for um, Hull, the, uh, the guy who plays centre midfield. And um, he's up against Billy Mitchell. He's probably earning about five or six times more than Billy Mitchell is. I think they signed him on a free transfer. He's, they've just chucked a load of wages at him. He's, he was a premiership player at Fulham, wasn't he? Um, and I thought Billy Mitchell sort of dealt with him quite well. You know, he's, I know the guy's very athletic. And he kind of got box to box a little bit. But I think M- Mitchell still controlled that midfield. You know, at 10 range of 21 years of age. So we've got to be thankful with the team we've got, the players we've got, and we're doing the best of what we've got. Yeah, but we're never really going to be realistically, you know, top, top two competitors are in the championship. The trouble is, we never, I mean, the trouble is, is that we will always get the same crowd for one. Um, we already moan about the price of beer. We already moan about the price of food. We already moan about the quality. Like the chicken bolties back though. The chicken bolties. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, well, that's good. But, you know, we all, uh, yeah, it's whether or not the pie, the pie is fucking rock hard or not. If it was last week's pie reordered or whatever, I don't know. But <laughs> you know, we always moan about one or two things. The problem is, is that they're stepping up their game now with a commercial side of the business. So you know, they they've changed what used to be the boardroom is now into the chairman's suite, which now gets them an extra couple of grand a game, and they've. You know, they're doing other bits and pieces with it. I think until the problem is, personally speaking, from obviously my time within the club and all that, I think we are probably about 10 years behind commercially compared to any other club in that league. And because of that, we're never going to be rolling in the advertising. And again, you know, technically who we are, you know, if you listen to the stuff that comes out of the club, you know, it's hard to get sponsors for us. It's hard to this. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that because I think since the time they come out and said that, we gained about four or five different sponsors. We've got shirt sponsor, you know, back a shirt sponsor. We've got back a short sponsor. We've got other people who are sponsoring it. So I don't necessarily think, you know, that is always as, as negative as, as they like us to believe. Um, it's more about us towing the line rather than um, it's really difficult. You know, same when they come out and go, well, we have trouble signing black play. Well, that's not true either because we can get, you know, we don't have any issue getting them. We, I think it's just a, a PR story what's trying to lead us into saying, you know, we are where we are. But I personally think we're probably about 10 years behind on commercial, maybe a little bit less than that now. But because of that, we can't start demanding the financials what Hull or someone else, where Hull might charge you 15 grand to advertise at the, you know, for a, a match sponsorship. They might be able to sit there and charge you 10, 15 grand for a match sponsor, or 10 grand or whatever. We will charge two and a half grand or for a ball sponsor, we're charged minimal. You know, like, we moan about the fact that sponsoring a player is six, seven hundred quid a season, you know, to sponsor one of their their shirts. But I reckon if you probably look at other clubs, that could be a, a fair amount more than what we play. I think, I, think it's, I think it's tough on, on, on our club, really. I mean, the commercial team, I, I know a couple of guys there, and I think they're doing a really good, good job, better than what it has been in the past. We're still not up there you know, compare against other championship sides. But I think the difficult thing we've got there is attracting the type of business we want. To your point, Mickey, I completely agree. But you look at a whole, you know, anyone, any businessman around the whole area within a sort of 10, 20, 30 mile area would have an interest in investing or marketing or using for marketing. The trouble is with Millwall, you're so close. You've got Fulham down the road. You've got West Ham there. You've got Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, all these other London clubs that are all fighting for the best, you know, marketing and, and, and people who, who are going to spend money with them. Unfortunately, we are probably not the most attractive club for anyone with any decent money or, or spend lots of money on marketing 
at Millwall. You know, that's a difficult seat. We've got. I think, it's also. You know? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you boys have been in the exec lounge lately. Obviously, we were up there yesterday because of um, with the army boys, but they had three tables put aside. A few years ago, it would have been hard to get three tables aside because most of those were taken with people sitting there who were exec, exec season ticket holders having dinner there. And, you know, a lot more of that floor space was through people eating. Now that space is is diminished. It's probably a good half of that now is for people with season tickets who are getting meals there. So, again, you know, has that gone down because prices have gone up? People can't necessarily, you know, afford it. The bo- I mean, we've still got – there was an empty box – um, over in the boxes yesterday. So, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, yes, the commercial, you know, the commercial group's good, but again, you know, it's got to be hard to to sell spaces, you know. Do you, want to bring your, do you want to bring your clients to come and watch us play Oldham on a Tuesday night? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's We're not exactly even, got Man United and Arsenal, have we? Even the most sort of top salesman, commercial guy, I think it's a challenge. You're going to come to Millwall and you're going to work the commercial team. You go, right, I want you to increase, you know, revenue and sponsorships or marketing, whatever, it's a very tough ask. So you bring up someone you, and you're trying to cold call businesses and say, look, we're a quote from Millwall Football Club. Do you, do you want to spend your money and advertise? You know, I think if, unless you're a Millwall fan, I can't I can't see why they would want to. So tap into that. But you, you see, the problem you've got there is that you want to tap into that. But the problem you've got is that you've got to make sure that if you're dealing with Millwall fans, you've got to look after them. You've mm. got to show them the respect. You can't just treat them as a normal commercial entity. So, you know, if I come to you, Joe, of your firm, and I say, yeah, you want... The first moment I start treating you a little bit badly, you're going to take it really personally. You know, if all of a sudden you need two more tickets to bring guests in, and I've, you know, that that's delayed, so you and your guests are waiting at reception for extra tickets, and we're running around to give you a ticket. All of a sudden, that's personal to you because you're a Millwall fan. You're feeling that your clubs let you down. So uh, uh, it's sort of a double-edged sword. On the subject of the commercial team and things like that, um, believe it or not, I actually went for the job um, Mm. when the um, advertising boards were first introduced. I um, had had two interviews, one with um, commercial director and one actually with Steve Kavanagh. Oh, what, did you Uh, have an interview with Stuart? Yeah, Stuart, yeah. And um, talking about the fact that it's interesting what you say that the, the challenges with with um, you know we're Millwall Football Club. There are a lot of other clubs in the area, and um, unfortunately, I never got the job. Someone else is in the position, um, and I think he's actually doing quite a good job. There are a lot of different sponsors that come up on the um, electronic board that comes around the side, but the demand um, for those kind of things is 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 actually a lot higher than you think. But it is still, uh, you know, people will say. You know, we get, I think we had 14,400 yesterday. I think Hull brought 700, 750, something like that. Yeah, yeah, If you've got a business, 14,000 people, yeah, it's quite a lot of people. But realistically, Tottenham today had, what, 63,000 people. Yeah, it's going to cost a little bit more money. But you, we don't have that. We don't have that draw. You know, they say speculate to accumulate. The club have bought in these boards. They are making good money off. I know roughly how much money they're making off of it. So it is good money for, and it is extra revenue that they need. But it's still, as you say, we can only charge to a certain point because we only there is a cap on what we what we can we can offer. Yeah, because we don't. I mean, I don't know. How we've got into advertising, but it's interesting. <laughs> I suppose Millwall focuses a lot on. Um, Twitter exposure, Instagram exposure, 
TikTok exposure, you know, all the different exposures through the social media. I, I look at those numbers for our account and we're, you know, for what we are, we make good numbers, really good numbers on Twitter exposures and, and, and stuff like that. And I can understand why it's a draw to someone like me or to say, well, you know, look, you know, we've got your banner here. We can put that across, you know, X amount of people. We've got, you know, six, seven million pounds, six, seven million people a, a month looking at our, our Twitter accounts. We're doing this, we're doing that. But when you take that aside and go, actually, we've got 14,000 people at the game. We might have 15,000 subscribers, maybe more, I don't know, but say 1,500 subscribers on Millwall TV, all of a sudden you're looking at, it's still less than 20,000 people you're being in front of and they're charging mm-hmm. you something like £2,500 a minute. And, That's you know, me, me personally, I'll pay three and a half, four grand and maybe get a minute at Tottenham. Okay, mm-hmm. what's my target audience? Well, it's the same people who are at Tottenham who are at Millwall, to be fair. It don't really matter, but I've got more chance of being on Sky, BT, mm-hmm. some other channel, because mm-hmm. all, the, all the games there are televised. Mm-hmm. It, I can understand why they're doing Millwall TV, and I think there's a long-term plan with Millwall TV, potentially, that they are going to be able to, once the laws change, they're probably, the championship will be looking at probably taking TV in-house so that they're on telly as much as it is with Sky. Sky's been losing premiership teams, like they're going out of fashion at the moment on their TV, so they're now showing more and more championship football, um, still charging people a fortune and obviously paying for it um, to the championship. But I think the whole TV avenue needs to change and then that will have a knock-on effect to there. You go to Fulham, you go to some of the other teams, um, they even have sponsors of fucking toilet rolls. You know, the toilet roll holders are sponsored by someone. The fucking, you know, the the... Hand dryers are sponsored by someone else. I don't think we're anywhere near that level yet. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Also, I don't know if you'd ever get that at Millwall. Would, if, if Stuart and his boys come to you tomorrow, right, all three of you have got your own firms, right? You've got successful businesses dealing with uh, a key audience, what goes within Millwall. They come to you and said, would you want to sponsor the toilet roll holders or, or the hand dryers? It's going to be X amount. You're going to say, no, I'm all right, mate. I'm not interested. Do you know what I mean? Because because of what it is. You know that people who are going in the toilets really haven't got any interest in, you know, looking at that or, or remembering think, your name. You've got to be of a level, uh, a business owner, where you've got that much money that you can spare, like, pay that money, almost kind of like throw it down the drain almost. Mm. So, so you, there's no yeah. guarantee it's going to, if it's going to come off it. I've, I've been approached from my company a couple of times by a commercial team and 
I've looked at it and I thought, Phew, that's a big outlay. Do you know what I mean? I think there's no guarantees. I've, I've done a, 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 a billboard a few years ago for my company, um, which cost me a good few grand. And I didn't get one single phone call from that. Um, but it's one of those sort of things you think, well, if you don't try, you never, you never know if it's not going to work or not. So I guess because I've been sort of stung by that a little bit, I'm very reluctant to do any more sort of sponsorship. That being said, if I was, you know, a multimillionaire and my business was fantastic and, you know, I wouldn't mind chucking a bit of money into the club. I might make some, make some out of it, might, I may not. But ultimately, you've got to be a, of a position where you can afford to throw that money in it. And I, that's what I'm saying. I think the commercial team are doing a good job. What they're doing on the day-to-day stuff through for matches, hospitality is great. I don't think it makes a significant difference to the finances because obviously the finances are so much more higher than what they actually make. But what they need to really, really push harder on is getting these big, big businesses in through the door to spend big. I mean, what they did with Husky is amazing, but they probably need to do a lot more at that level mm. to business to make a significant change. Unfortunately, there's not enough enough of that target audience out there. Going back to the point we made earlier, there's so many different clubs locally that people rather spend their money investing in because they feel they're getting more value for money. And that's always going to be a difficulty, unfortunately, you know. But, I actually uh, think... I actually think the point that Mickey raised about the club being about 10 years behind, I, I think that goes a long, long way. I, I don't just think that's commercially. I think um, even looking at the fact that it's taken us this long to really look into the European market for transfers. Mm. Um, if you look at some of the top clubs in the championship, just to name a few, uh, Timo Puki at, at Norwich was signed from, um, uh, I think it was someone in Sweden or somewhere like that. He played in Spain, you know, that's just one example, but it's taken us a long time to catch up. It's not just commercially. I think commercially is 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 a is an area that they're they're focusing on. But mm. I think the club is behind in a lot of uh, you know they do a lot of good work. And I, it sounds like we're having a, a real massive moment at Amir, but mm. they do a lot of good work. But there is a lot more hard work um, that needs to be done both on and off the pitch. I think because we we are we are competing in a very tough marketplace. It for supporters. Um, for players, for sponsors, for everything. And it, it, it's tricky. We're selling more shirts now than what we've ever done. Um, I'm not wearing shirts as well, Mickey. Yeah, you know, traditionally, well. yeah, traditionally, we are getting more and more fans. You know, and also traditionally, well, not traditionally, but we're selling more shirts than we've traditionally ever have. The last two, three years, it's slowly been going up and up and up. Mm. And also now... More so yesterday for, you know, those, not so much you, but those were helping collecting the poppy money um, and walking around, probably if you're walking around a stadium, um, there's more and more foreign fans coming to the game, Germans, Dutch, Italians, etc., etc. So I can understand that maybe that might open up more advertising avenues for them, but it's... Surely what you want to be doing is building on loyal fan base who will be coming week in, week out, rather than keep focusing on, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, the foreign fans will come in, go in the <coughs> shop first, spend a fortune, you know, spend under a pound or so, say, say, say for instance, they spend under a pound in a shop, you know, plus their match ticket, they're spent ahead. Sorry to be a bit anal with the thing, but everything's worked out and spent ahead within that mm-hmm. sort of business. So, their spend per head is going to be a lot higher than a loyal fan. So in their, so in the club's eyes, that is a more valuable asset to them 
rather than having you, Joe, buying mm. a season ticket. Yeah, you buy a season ticket, you might buy a couple of shirts for you and yourself. Say you spend 300 quid. You spend 300 quid on shirts, you buy your season ticket for 400 quid. They've taken £700 out of you and they might take some beer money out of you. Beer money's not theirs, they get a percentage of that, so they couldn't really give a shit about that because it's a, it, it's a franchise deal as such. It's a, it's a contracted deal for so many years, but they're interested in there. They've got that 700 quid out of you, what will relate into whatever it is per visit, per pound, per, per head. But they've got a group of 15 guys coming from Germany, Holland, Russia, coming in, spending a ticket, 37 quid, 36 quid, whatever it is, and spending 100 pound in the shop. They're instantly worth a lot more money to them than you are. I think, I think that's a good thing. You know, I don't, I don't feel begrudged feeling that I feel like second best to them because ultimately they've got to do what's right for the club. You know, I, I pay the money, I pay my season ticket, I buy a beer, whatever. But ultimately they've got to do something different in order to attract more more revenue into the, into the club. And totally I quite agree. like it. I, I actually quite love, it's weird that at the very, very beginning, I used to find a bit, feel a bit uncomfortable walking into the ground thinking, why well, am I hearing a different type of accent or different language being spoken? What's all that about? Is this is a bit of a joke now, is it? But when you start getting your head around, you think, no, this is actually a really good thing. And I go to Millwall now, and when I start hearing a German person talking or like, you know, Italian or Spanish, and you see groups and they're all taking pictures and get excited. I love all that. Because what it is commercially is helping our club. You know, it's, it's widening the audience. It's getting us out there. Yeah. They're buying gear from the club shop. You know, they, and they spend loads. I mean, I did. I went to um, uh, Bill Bell uh, for a mate's fiftieth, um, and I was out there. And we watched a game, and I went to the club shop the next morning, and I bought myself a, you know, a top. I got one for my, my, my boys as well. You end up spending like hundred fifty euros just like that. And that's what me, they're doing when they're coming to, up to London. Yeah, you know? no, I, I look, I agree with that and the financial side of it. The bit what doesn't sit with me properly is uh, I mm. find that um, it, it's diluting what Millwall is. I know you you're mean. Diluting, but... You're diluting the future fan base. I don't I want us to become a club in the next 10, 15 years of being a tourist captured club rather than, because maybe that's why, go back to what we were talking about before, maybe that's why the atmosphere is nulling because there's so many foreigners in there who don't know the songs, don't know the chants, don't know, you know, most of the players and whatnot. But, but it, and we're not, because when we go away, you, you don't, you don't stop you don't hearing them sing. It's a different crowd, isn't it? It's a different fan base away from home. But go back to your right. point, Mickey, we are 10 years behind, not necessarily in the commercials. I think in, in, in maybe not as yeah, far as 10 years, old, yeah. I think in football general, and look at all the clubs around us. Look at the likes of Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, Fulham. Yeah, they've had like foreign foreigners come over from overseas and watching games and travelling and tourists for years and years and years. And that probably helps just, you know, broaden and expand the awareness of the club. And if we've got a lot of Spanish going back or German talk about Millwall and all the rest of it, I think that's great. It just it just grows our awareness, doesn't it, across Europe or whatever. It just builds our profile up a bit more. I know what you mean. Atmosphere-wise, you lose that. But what's the percentage of not real mill supporters watching a game out of 14,000? You're probably looking at, what, maybe sort of 500? You know, I'll say probably less than that, 400? 
No, I'd say higher. I'd say higher. I'd say I'd I'd say there was probably two thousand plus maybe foreign so? fans there. Oh yeah, I think I think there's lots. It's of a lot though. Two thousand, a lot of people. I think there's a lot. There's a hell of a lot of people will come and watch the games. You can spot them. Mm. You can spot them a mile away. If those two thousand weren't there, let's say we only have twelve thousand. Oh, I understand you know, that. So but I just think I understand that. But it's just there's not the 12,000 from singing and still being vocal. I think yeah. we need to be more vocal. You know, yeah, I, I've, I've, I, I find that sometimes I'm, I'm sort of cheering and shouting and getting into the game. Looking around me, I'm thinking, fuck me, why is everyone so quiet? You know, you get a lot of people just yeah. turn up and they're actually mill, probably mill fans, but just happy just sitting there watching the game and don't really have an opinion or, or cheer or shout much, you know? But No, I totally agree. I'll be I understand that, but I don't, yeah, I understand that, but I think it's, it's, it's mm. um, diluting the mill brand as such. I think yeah. I, I do agree with Mickey. I think sometimes if you look at the, the fan base, I mean, it, Mills are typically it's you, like you support them because your dad does or your granddad or it, it's a it's a local thing. I my dad's been going for fifty years, so you know I go because of him. Um, and that kind of generation is there are less numbers. Like you know, when the supporters get older, you know, God bless them if they're they're no longer with us, but they're not being replaced really yeah, because mm. and then you're left with you know you do get the same crowds that go away from home i see people away from home when, when i go they go every week and and you know fine but the 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 old school the the hardcore mill fan mm. is it's it, it, they're diminishing you know yeah. it, it is diminishing and look there has to be there is a fine balance do the club need to find a new audience and, and attract more supporters to the club? Yes, but they can't also alienate the, you know, the old school supporter um, and, and have to be trying to do more to encourage them to be coming back to games, whether that be a season ticket or a membership or some way of, of keeping what makes us who we are. We're a club like no other, but if we lose that tag, you know, is the den going to be the fortress that it's been this year? No, it, it won't because it will just be like every other club. Um, I don't have the answer. I wish I did have the answers to maybe, it. But, maybe, no, it it's, a, but we, maybe we've, a simple we've, answer. Maybe just affordability. You know, maybe you know times are tough at the moment. It has been for a long time. Maybe people can't get to watch games, can't afford to pay tickets, rather watch it on a on a on a live stream or something at home. There could be loads of reasons why they're not filling out. What I noticed though, if we ever make a, a playoff final or we get you know, talk to Wembley, you can guarantee we've got 40 or 50,000 fans there. 100%. 100%. So where they all come from? Yeah, they can't all be like Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United fans. They're all Millwall fans. I know know some of that and I can answer some of those questions, but I think we we need to do that on a probably, maybe we need to do an open debate show and and get people's views and and cross it there because we've Mm. deviated so majorly off what we were originally talking about is... It's um, good though, isn't it? It's nice that you No, no, it is good. It is good. I'm going to bring it... No, no, I understand. And I think, you know, maybe we, during the World Cup, maybe we'll have a uh, a debate yeah. show where we just talk about different subjects um, affecting the club and how we think things have changed and, and stuff. Because so many points, what Steve said, I totally agree with. Um, I think our fan base is diminishing. I think it's diminished for quite a while. I don't think it's... I don't think it's a recent thing. When I was doing the AMS battle... Um, we wanted to do a mail out to all Millwall fans, and the majority of our fan base is now based in a ME or a DA postcode. So, um, you know, they're not necessarily local 
um, to us. We're doing nothing within car parking. There was a rail strike yesterday. Um, personally, from my speaking, I would have thought if I was a commercial department, I would have been speaking to a lot of the local schools to see if we can open car parks and get cars parked on there, um, make some extra revenue that way, whether or not you just donated it to you know the charity or the schools make money out of it. I would have thought we would have been putting ideas to these sort of people, something what I, I discussed before um, years ago, in case you didn't know when I was a fan on the board, um, that I feel a lot of our fans driving. A lot of the side streets around the ground are not safe for people. Their vehicles are getting broken into. Um, we've got a plot of land that's being built on next to the den where the joiners used to have. That's a massive bit there. You'll probably get a good 100, 150 cars in there maybe. Um, car park, you know, the school's nearby. You'll be able to get stuff in. It's just, it's as if we're just ticking by rather than wanting to be there. And, you know, maybe the next time we go on. We brought a big fucking plot of land in Kent. Half of that massive plot of land has uh, got, got a training ground being built on it. I wonder what's being planned for the other half of the ground, but that's probably a story for another show. So um, I've got no idea either, but yeah. But let's come back to Saturday's game before we break and go into part two and, and have a bit of the, the player contract bit. Um, Oscar's tackle. Accident. Nasty accident. And um, Chriswell looks a mess, but... Hats off to him, as Joe's been dug out on Twitter today for raising his point earlier, but hats off to him for carrying on. Well, that's, that's the point I was trying to make. I mean, I think someone, I can't remember who it was, and they commented on my, my tweet to say, not be funny, he's not exactly he's not exactly saved a shot off the line with his, using his face, is he? Why does he get so much praise? The point I'm making is, you've seen the fucking state of his, this guy's face. He's taken a boot to the, to, to the face, got stitches. He could, a lone play could have easily said, you know what, get me off. I can't carry on, but I got him concussed. He didn't. He stayed on. He got bandaged up. He didn't shy away from any headers. He battled on, and he carried on playing to the last minute. And that was my point, really, of just saying, look, what, what a great player. There's a bit of a myth there where Mill fans think that lone players don't really care. And all I was trying to say is I felt Presswell does care about the club. He does put he wears his heart on his sleeve, and he, and he tries hard. And I thought they had a really good game. I mean, I don't know who, who won man of the match yesterday in the exact lounge, but I'd be very surprised if, um, if he didn't get it to us again. I, I, have to, I have to say I agree. The, the fact that he's a lone player, that to me says everything about what Charlie Cressel is as a footballer. 100%. Because if that was Sean Hutchinson, you might expect him to get yeah. up and, and carry on, uh, you know, with the game and, you know, club captain, whatever. But, and it's not like he's any, like he's from Leeds. There's, there's the history. There's the, the rivalry with Leeds. They don't like us. We don't like them. He's yeah. come to us and he wants to play. It, I reckon he was quite hurt that he was probably left out of the squad when the, the transition um, so happened. Be, yeah. yeah. And he's gone, you know what? I'm fighting for the shirt and I'll do what I can. I wouldn't be surprised mm. if he may have concussion and it may, maybe next week it might be a bit I tricky. Be but if you ain't got a fractured eye socket, to no. be fair. Yeah. He, it, on your question, Mick, about the, the tackle, do I think that the guy's intentionally meant to leave his face looking like that? No, it's just dangerous play. Um, I don't think he's quite aware, really, of um, how high he's got his foot. And, and ultimately, I don't think he argued too much. I think he knew, obviously, looking probably looking at Cresswell on the floor. Um, I don't think he meant to purposely hurt him, but it's just dangerous play. He did look. I mean, the way that Oscar and Billy were speaking to him, he didn't want to come off the pitch until he knew that Cresswell was okay. I mean, mm. Cresswell looks as if he's got six or eight yeah. stitches in his eye. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got a, a, a bruiser 
he's got a bruised eye or black eye, what he's going to be proud of come training. Um, but it does take a certain mentality. I mean, Ben, what's your views on that? That's a that's a lovely bruise, though, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a right shiner. Um, going to Joe's point on the, the lone players, I, I've been critical of him, but I mean, that just shows the character, the type of person he is, the, the, the fact that he stayed on, as you said, we could have quite easily walked off. Um, fair play to him. Um, I don't think the tackle was intentional. It's a bad one. It looks bad. But yeah, fair play to him. He done really well. And just going again back to Joe's point of him being left out, or Stephen's sorry point about being left outside, I think that's done him a world of good. Um, probably a good bit of management from Rowett and probably just took him out of the limelight again. I said on previous shows, I was quite critical of him. I thought he was probably going to be going in January. I think now Rowett's taking him out of the limelight, as I say, he's improved. And just, I think it's going to sound stupid, but just what's happened to him, we almost, we we think a little bit more of him just because he's got a black eye for us and he's going to have stitches in his face and he hasn't gone away and, and shirt the issue. So, yeah, um, fair play to him for staying on. He, he did well, the young lad. Which I think he's kept a clean sheet as well. The last few games, yeah, he's kept yeah. clean sheet. I thought he's played really well. The question is, when Hutchinson comes back, what does Rowett do? Does he stick with Cresswell or does he bring Hutchinson back? What's your thoughts well, on that? Well, that's the question because the, if you believe the rumour, allegedly there's compensation if we don't play him. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, for me, Hutch still plays... Again, spoke about it previously. For me, Hutch and Coops are the best centre-half partnership in the league. So would you put him in another position? Creswell? Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up being a kind of holding midfielder that ticks the ball over because he's good enough technically to do that. Does that fit in with us? Probably not. But... Trouble is a bit like you're sacrificing Savile or Mitch, aren't you, really? And That's what I'm saying. I, I don't, yeah, I'm saying I don't think it, it, it doesn't work for us. I don't think. Mm. I think for, if he goes back to Leeds, for example, he might end up being in that position or somewhere yeah. else. I don't think it works for us, but mm. I don't. I still don't think he's ahead of Coops or Hutch for me, personally. No. It must be quite difficult for him and for Brown and the club because when they signed him, it was almost like under the promise, listen, we're playing a back, three centre-backs, or back five. I was just about to say exactly that. You're going to come in, you know, that's almost guaranteed your position on that right side alongside Hutch and Cooper. Suddenly yeah. the tactics have changed, the formations change, and he's now fighting for one or two places, really, isn't he? You know? Exactly that. We spoke about the, the, the transfers that we made in the summer mm. to fit the formation. And he's, yeah, everything you just said there, spot on. He would have probably been guaranteed to be one of the three. And mm. now he's going on fighting against two long-serving, 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 long-serving mm. members of the team, senior players, captain, vice-captain, mm. and he's going to struggle to get in that now. So it's probably a bit unfortunate for him, but I don't see... If if, if everyone's fit, everyone's on full, and it mm. is just my picking a starting eleven. he doesn't get in for me. Yeah. The problem Speak. is, as well, is that we were playing about five when we signed him, yeah. and... Rowett could have easily agreed with Leeds to say, yeah, we'll play every game. Now we've gone to about four. It's suddenly changed everything. That's what I just said. That's what I, that's what I said a second ago. I think that's what it was. It's hard because the prom- promises must be made. And I think it'd be quite easy for Rowett to guarantee him first-team football and the provides yeah. would play three at the back. And that's obviously not the case. One question yeah. I want to ask, and I hope Steve, you could answer me on this one. What do you make of um, Honeyman? He's played the last couple of games on that sort of right side. Um... How do you think? What do you think of his performance yesterday? Having sort of watched the game live, and do you think he's done a good job there? Is he someone who you can see carry on playing that position? 
Uh, no, not. I'll be honest with you. No. Uh, again, George Honeyman, much like the Cresswell um, issue. And before I move on to Honeyman, what I would say is, we're Millwall Football Club. I think it's very brave for the manager to be promising other clubs that their players will play when they come to us on loan, because it, you know we can't we can't afford to be paying compensation and things if if things change. So. I, I, if that's the case, which it probably is, I think that was a bad mistake. Um, but back to Honeyman, um, much like Cresswell, was brought in under the pretense of playing a different system. Um, George Honeyman, for me, someone said it on the spaces a few weeks ago. Mickey, I think you were doing the show at the time. He said, Honeyman's got to play out wide. He's got to be the wide right, the wide right man. And that might I, be me, actually. <laughs> oh, was it you? I'm okay. an advocate for it, yeah. And, and, and it's only stems from the time I watched him against Millwall, one of the last games of last season, he played for Hull. And he played in a very simple position on the right side, and he was by far the best player on the pitch. I'm not sure if you were there that game. I was, and he was... Season. He was he was very uh, how they didn't yeah. score how he didn't yeah. score against us I do I I can see your he point he was a nuisance wasn't he he was literally he was making things happen it was going past players I think it was Malone or, or, or Wallace I'm not sure he was trying to mark him but he was just by far the best player on the pitch and when we signed him I was so so pleased thinking he's going to come and fit on that, that position but then when I, I heard that he's going to come in and play a centre mid position I was a bit confused by that you know I just think. And it's so it might be old fashioned, and it might be the you know four four two, but if you've got wingers, if you've got a left winger and a right winger, or right mid, left mid, however you want to, you know, dress it up, you've got to have a bit of pace. You have to be able to take your full back on and get a ball across into the box. Now, do I think George Honeyman's delivery is good? Yes, I think he can take corners. I think he, he can decent crosser of the ball. But I don't ever back him to take it past the fullback to get himself in a position to cross the ball. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, uh, again, he's never going to replace Fleming. But I think Honeyman, just off of the strike, off of a forward in those pockets, he's low centre of gravity. He does have a little bit of quality on the ball. He's not going to replace Fleming, so that's not going to happen. And it's almost, again, you know, we've tried Voggy out there. We're trying Honeyman out there. You know, we, we we can go on to a boo in the face to say we know we need to sign a winger in January. But for me, I just don't see how Hunt George Honeyman can make an impact playing wide. And I also think, whilst we love someone that, that gets themselves stuck in, I think Birmingham, he was very, very close to being potentially booked and sent off by getting wound up and getting in the referee's face. And we can't afford to be, to be losing players because they're losing their head. Good player, but again... Rowett's trying to find a place for him at the moment and I just don't think it works. I agree and I think that's a good point to stop there. We'll be back straight after this for the final part of the show where we're going to talk about the players what potentially are out of contract at the end of the season. We'll be back after this. So then, uh, there was um, an article in a shit publication um, called fucking lazy wankers of journalism. Um, you didn't write that, did you, Steve? Before no, 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 no. <laughs> um, I really, yeah. I really wanted to say yes then, but I didn't. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not. Should have asked the question first, Miss, before you said it. <laughs> yeah, no. Look, they they slag us off every year. They slag us off. It's weird. It's, if you read them after a match report, they they will talk more about the opposition. 
than they do about us. Yeah, it's as yeah. if they really hate us and they won't mention us. And then every year they want all of us to kiss ass and get into their voting through, I think it's Shed Media or Shed Snack or Snack Media or something. And, and they want us to get in, you know, like... Um, uh, Lions TV had been all over him when they got into it and got, you know, second place, whatever. Um, Axel Mill got in there and all that. And you're like, look at it and you go, but you've been slagging us off all season. And now all of a sudden people are kissing out you going, oh, yeah, yeah, retweet, retweet. No, they're cunts. And, and that's it. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they don't write nice things about us. But anyway, there was an article where they wrote what Steve has, um, has sent with some, some of the players who were in there. So, gents, end of season, allegedly, Cooper... Hutchinson, Long, Bart, Malone, Afobi, Voggy, Bennett and Evans are all out of contract. Then add Creswell, Shackleton and Styles, what are currently on loan. That's a hell of a lot of players gone. That's both our keepers gone. I, I don't think, think they will go, but it's a worrying number though, isn't it? I think it's a big problem because this summer that's just gone was seen as the rebuild. You know, Jed was going and we were going to have to change a lot of players. And we did, you know, I think we've already said previously, recruitment was was quite good this summer. Um, but we, I don't I agree with what you said. I don't think all the players are going to leave. I would imagine that a few of them have an extension. So the club will have a one year that they will say we're triggering. I think yeah. George George Long will definitely fall into that category because you can't have both your goalkeepers um, out of contract. I think that would be a very silly move for the club. Um, the fact that they are now, though, predominantly, you know, Bennett, when fit as a first-team regular, Hutchinson and Cooper are first-team regulars, your goalkeeper, Malone, has now come back into the side playing first-team football, um, a phobie, Again, it plays a lot of first-team football. It's not like they're all fringe players. They're important players to the club. Um, I don't think they'll all go. Uh, I, I don't think there's an, a worry of that. But we could, you know, we are in a position where we're going to have to rebuild again next year. And have we, are we going to have the finances to do it? I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you guys think. But we spent a lot of money this summer. If it doesn't, If we don't get what we want, we may have to do it again. And, and can we? Ben? Yeah, I think that feeds nicely into exactly what I was about to say. We've just spent a massive portion of the show talking about the commercial side. And this is a huge impact here now, right? Just for example, if we lose half of those, they're half of probably a core of our team. We're really going to struggle if we haven't got the finances to go again next year. And some of those players, the club might have one year extensions on some of those, but I'm just looking at people like Cooper, does he look at a Jed similar situation and go, look, I've been at the club a long time now. My stock's probably at its highest. I could probably go and get a big, bigger contract of what I'm on now. There'll be people like that and there'll be people after him. There'll be his agent will probably be touting him around. So there'll be people in there as well that will probably want to leave. A phobe at the minute for me, is he going to get back in the side the way we're playing? There seems to be a problem there. Obviously, last year he wasn't coming to us. We know that he was going to play Champions League football. <sighs> Bart, again, he's, he's out of favour now. I'd imagine he's going to be on decent wages. If Long's going to be number one for the rest of the season, is he going to want to stay with us? So there's going to be people in there that we, we may want to trigger extensions on, but they might not want to, if they don't have the extension, sorry, that they might not want to stick around. The lone players, I think Shackleton and Styles, I believe we've got options to buy on those. So we might end up keeping them. But the way Shackleton's playing, I can't see us spending a lot of money there. But yeah, look, it's a massive problem. 
certainly if we don't have the money as well, it's going to be an even bigger problem. But there's a lot of senior players there, so it's, it's a real big concern for me. Yeah, yeah, me too. Joe? Um, I think we look at that list. I mean, who will be scared of losing and, and who do you think you know we will we'll stay? I mean, Cooper, number one, I think he's at a good age. We can't afford, like Ben just said, we can't afford to let him walk like Jed did uh, for, for nothing, especially when we had offers of like five million from Rangers a few, not too, too long ago, a few years ago. Um, Hutch is what, 31? I think he's going to be 32 soon. So I can't really see him getting another move to a championship club. So he'll probably be hoping to get an extension himself. You know, so as much as we're worried about these players leaving, I think some of them will be quite keen to get a new contract and just remain at Millwall. So I think he he was signing the contract was given to him. And uh, I think Long will probably sign again the contract's given to him. I think Bart will be the one that will probably go. Uh, and I can see Bart, there's lots of talk about Bart's knee and him not 100% being physically good enough to play every game. Um, could he get be a backup keeper for a, a premiership club, maybe, or another championship team, perhaps? Yeah, that might just suit him down to the ground as well. So, and, and Long's done really well, to be fair, since he's, since he's come, come in. Um, who else we got on the list? Malone, he's, what, 31 years of age? Um, probably getting to the twilight now of his career. He ain't get any better, although he's doing quite well at the moment. So, again, if he gets a one-year extension, I think he'll sign. I can't see him sort of going anywhere else. He might do. He'd done it before, but uh, who knows? Uh, a phobie, I've always looked at that as a one season anyway. So whether he stays or goes, I'm not too 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 fuss. Vogi, that's a frustrating one because we haven't really seen the best of him. <clears> I'm sure he's deeply frustrated because he hasn't really shown us what he can do either. We've still got another half a season to go, so let's wait and see what happens there. If he, if he comes good and he really enjoys his, himself, then I'm, I'm sure a deal could be done there. But if he, if he goes, then he'll go with my blessing. I don't think we'll lose too much seeing him go anyway. Uh, then you've got Bennett. I mean, realistically, as good as Bennett is, how many championship clubs out there would want to take him on? You know, he's injury prone. He can't do 90 minutes. You know, again, I think he'd be grateful to get another contract and mill or another, another extension. You say and, he uh, can't do You say he can't do 90 minutes, but he's only done 90 minutes with us. Well, yeah, but it's very rare he does it. Yeah, he doesn't. He yeah. doesn't. He struggles. I mean, that's probably partly to do with his physique um, and also the east side of play. You know, he, he does work his socks off. He, he's committed and he, he works really hard, so he, he can't keep it going. I mean, I think there's a period before his last injury where I think he was doing quite well. I think he was reaching 80 minutes at times, but as soon as he gets a setback, he, he, he starts again mm. and, and he, he's got to work out how to fit this back up again. And Bennett is the sort of player. Bennett is the sort of player, so I was saying, if we lose him, yeah. I can almost guarantee someone else in the championship will pick him up he will mm. come down the den and tear us a new arsehole. And oh, we yeah. all go, how the fuck have we lost him? We let him, we let him go, exactly. We've let him go. George Evans might be the one that, that, that leaves. And I, I don't think there's too many Mill fans there would be sort of sad to see him go. I don't think he's done anything wrong with us, but he hasn't done anything spectacular. I don't think we signed him for anything. I think we got him for a free, didn't we, off Derby? Uh, I'm pretty sure of it. So if he, if he goes on the free, then then so be it. Yeah, I'm sure he could use his wages uh, else, elsewhere, perhaps. So I'm not that... That, that worried to be honest with you. Um, I'd be more worried if it was Fleming, let's say, or Mitchell, uh, or Sabal, let's say, coming to a, a end of a one year contract. Then I'd be worried. Um, the only one out of those couple of players I'm, I'm concerned about is probably Cooper. I hope that can be done soon. The problem is, I don't think it's necessarily, 
I, I'll be honest with you. I think Sean Hutchins, uh, you know, I think he's, I think he's our best centre back. We need to be tying him down, regardless of what it is. I think he could get a move into the championship. Just that's my opinion, but it's not necessarily the the names of the players as such. Yes, okay, they might be first teamers, but it's just that I think it's what nine or ten. Nine. How many? How many did we let go last summer? And how many we brought in? What eight or nine faces this year? If we have to bring in another eight or nine next year, it, it is does Rowett want to take that that responsibility on again on a shoestring budget? Who knows? Are, are are we really going to be left with you know how many of the players that are there? Are, would you say you know backbone mill you know sort of what am I looking for? Not stall. Well, Hutchinson and Cooper are stalwarts, aren't they? They've been there for years. If you take them out of the side and you have to find two new centre backs. Are they going to come in and hit the ground running? I'm not saying that they're the, the the best players we could get, and we might go out and find someone else. It's just going to be a shock to the system that if we lose the number of players that we did this year and have to rebuild again, we're not going to go out and buy another Fleming. That's not going to happen. Mm. It's it's going to be another um, wheel and deal type transfer window. On those on those players as well, do we think if we lost the majority of those, even your Malones, say Bart, Vogie, your Phoebe, do we have the ability to go out and replace them with like for like ability wise? I would almost say no chance yeah. on our budget, on our budget, and then improve for next year because they're still decent enough squad players, right? And I don't think we've we, we, we done, done too badly over the summer. You look at the players we brought in, yeah, you know, lots of Fleming, yeah, you know, Honeyman, okay, Cresswell, Shackleton were alone, but we are attracting good, good quality players so. Um, I think we've probably been a little bit too sort of harsh on ourselves thinking we can't go out there and get quality players. Even Styles, you know, yeah. a great a great player for, for Barnes. I think the fans were quite sad to see him, him, him leave and, and join us. So I don't, I don't think there's any problem with us attracting these players. Um, like I said, Cooper would be, be, be a miss if he does go. But then when you think about it, what's he good for, Cooper? Heading the ball. I mean, he's great from set pieces defensively and, 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 and attacking the set pieces. But I think... Do we look at the, the the positives of that? Thinking, okay, we let Cooper go. Do we bring a more cultural defender in there that could probably play a little bit on the ball? You know, I and, think. Got gone, Stephen. One one last one. I was just going to say, don't go into it too deep, Steve. Because I was going to say, I think this is definitely a conversation we will keep over the um, over the World Cup period, um, and maybe get into a bit more debate on the players and that. But gone, Stephen. I just think if you were going to talk about one player, Jake Cooper, we've let. Tim Cale go for pittance. We let Steve Morrison go for pittance. We let Jed Wallace go on a free. We cannot afford, as we've discussed in length, with the money situation and the finances at this club, we cannot let sought-after players, young English players, keep going out of the door for free. We can't. Cooper has to stay. They they have to try and sign him that time down to a deal because the supporters are just going to get really, really fed up with that. And on that bomb note, that is it. We are done for another show. Make sure to subscribe, follow us across social media, keep the conversation going, join us on Twitter, and if you're watching this on YouTube, then join in in the comments below. Um, we are very, very nearly hitting 1,000 subscribers on um, YouTube, and you can help us if you're not already subscribed, press that button. We're That Mill Podcast. Thank you very much to Joe, Stephen, and Ben. Thanks, gents. Cheers, Mickey. Cheers, Mickey. Cheers, Mickey. Thanks for having us. That's it. We're done for another week. Thank you very much to all the Millwall fans who attended yesterday and making our Remembrance Day 
um, such a bonus what it always is and much much appreciation to you guys for putting your hands in your pocket for the Poppy Day appeal and uh, and thank you very much to those Millwall players I know who you are I'm not going to mention you who listen to our show weekly and thanks very much for the uh, that you enjoy it the words of enjoyment that you, you get out of listening to our show so we are the show for everyone uh, we speak the truth we're not controlled, we're not censored, uh, and we speak how it is. That's it for another episode. Laters. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.